episode 84, The Rant, Warren Davis, a.k.a. Jug, a.k.a. Jughead, also known as The Rule Master. We sat down with Jug, not too far from his house, in Jurassic Park, to discuss his automatic jump shot, his experience doing high-level officiating in NYC, and how he mastered the rules of basketball one section at a time. Be sure to look out at the end of this pod for our new segment, dropping weekly and daily, Monday through Friday, Jug's Jewels. All that and more, my conversation with Jug, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life, and with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah. Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neat Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Neat Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit neattux.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's REFEREERANT, one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref, with a special guest. Certified basketball official for men's, women's, as well as pro, NYC basketball official, Warren Jug Davis. How are you, my friend? How are you, Ralph? Okay, so we're at Lincoln Park. It's really called Frederick B. Judge Playground, isn't it? Yes, it is. So how come they call it Lincoln Park? Uh, it was a name that stuck with uh, players from back in the 70s. Mm. And the name never changed. But by Park Recreation, put the regular name to it. Mm. Okay, so we first got introduced through one of my mentors, Reggie Spencer, back in Long Island. Um, he was telling me that, that Warren was a, a good guy to, uh, to interview. Um, Looks like I got more than I bargained for because it turns out that um, he's he's in a lot of circles, and especially when it comes to the rules, he's a uh, um, he's somebody that has mastered how to read the rules as well as to explain it to others in, in a simplistic way. Um, and I've come across a lot of referees um, that would say the same thing, and we're going to work on a special project that we will talk about at a later date. But nonetheless, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. Okay, so let's start all the way back. What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school? What did you play in high school? How about in college? What sports did you play? Well, no college, and I never took a basketball interest uh, until late in junior high school. Right? And I played at Russell Sage. And then I went to Forest Hills, and I played sporadically with uh, varsity and with the junior JV at the time that I went to school. But school kind of drifted off for me. Uh, I lost my dad. Uh, back in the, uh, those days, I joined the service. I uh, went on to get my GED, everything like that, from the service. And I've just been in the working class ever since then. Mm. Did you end up playing a little bit um, after you got out of the service? 
Uh, recreation mall, yes. Yeah, a little here in Lincoln Park and di- different various places. West Wall Street, a couple of tournaments. Mm. I remember I was sharing moments with your son Antoine and he was telling me that you have a wicked jump shot. Is oh, that yeah. true? Yeah, very true. Yeah, to build that back in the days. Uh, I went to go to PS101 with Ernie Gornfield, a former friend of mine that went to Russell Sage and Forest Hills. I broke a couple of his records also, hmm. but he was one of the guys that helped me learn how to shoot. What, what did he tell you? He always told me to keep, and I didn't know the word at the time, trajectory on my shot, and you have a better chance of it going in, and that's what I did. Hmm. And now, I, up until now, I don't miss. I believe it. Yeah, Antoine was telling me, like, yeah, this guy doesn't miss right now. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Who was your favorite jump shooter growing up? Favorite mm. jump shooter growing up. I got to say Cassie Russell because he taught me also. I was at the Lost Battalion, and I used to cut school and, and pass the ball to Frazier and all them Red Holzman when the Knicks were, were playing. Uh, at the Los Pacino Queens Boulevard. Yeah, he was one of my uh, also guys that I seen shoot from so far away mm. that I wanted to learn the same thing. Yeah. So um, I'm probably showing my age, but I'm also probably showing how how young I am in comparison to you is that mm. my favorite jump shooter was Hubert Davis. Okay. I love Hubert Davis. Right. I hate the Knicks now, but right. at least like when I was growing up, the Knicks were still good. Yes. And it felt okay that they were losing because they were still oh, yeah. winners to me. Yes. I don't know about now. Yeah. Now it's just a free for all. Yes. So, I guess growing up, what was your relationship with officials as you were, um, you know, a basketball player in the playground, as well as now that you were uh, out of college and now you were becoming a young man? Well, that's a good question because I actually admired, I don't know if you remember Mindy Rudolph, right? Heard that name. their animation and officiating got me interested in wanting to make calls and understand the game. And I knew the game at an early age. And I said to myself, I'm going to go on the floor and I'm going to officiate the way they were doing. I would see them animate calls, animate walks. And it just got me excited that uh, I just started doing it freely in my neighborhood. From Ajax Park to Lincoln Park to 150 Park to all the parks that were in Queens. And I was by popular demand wanting and being asked for if, uh, but to come ref, ref games. So this was even before you got certified? Before or you I got certified. Okay, yes, so yes, how many games did you do before you even said, you know what, maybe I should get the official oh, proper certification? a good thousand. Yeah, a good thousand, maybe two thousand. Wow. Yeah, yeah, because we was just out there having fun. And I really never even knew anything about getting certified until uh, I ran into a guy, Roy Wilkins, and he said, hey, listen, you need to come to class. You kind of know your stuff. And at that time, I could say it now, but I couldn't say it then. All it was was fouls and penalties, right? I knew that. I didn't know it was so much more than basketball until I passed the class. Mm. So which yeah. which uh, which board did you get certified under in New York State? Uh, board 42. Okay, yeah. so do you remember what your first experience was officiating, you know, before you got certified as well as what was your first experience officiating when you were now a certified official and now doing, I guess, certified to do school games? Well... My first experience was that I had experience, right? So it helped me a great deal. Uh, the other part was the learning process from mentors. In this game, you have to have a mentor, right? And I was being mentored by a lot of people because they saw a lot of potential in me. And up until now, I'm still getting mentored, right? And I'm still learning the game every time I get on the court. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
when do you think you started taking it serious? When it started crystallizing in your mind that it was a craft and something that you could master? Well, it started materializing, I would say, roughly five years ago. Yeah. Uh, I started to see, and I take a real good, serious interest in it, because I see myself just getting better and better along with uh, what we were doing as up-and-coming officials. Mm. And I watch officials that started off with me pass me and go on and do bigger and better things in officiating. Mm. When I say that, college, G League, and going to the pros. Mm. So I think what's interesting is that you even put a number, and probably you have it roughly in your head, that you've done a 1,000 games before you even consider getting certified officially. Um, when was that moment when you started taking the rule book seriously? Right after I passed. Because once you pass, there's not enough studying in the day to continue doing it. Right? So just because I passed, it didn't mean put the book down. Rules change every year. The game changes every year. Hmm. The game changes every game you do. So you have to understand that you're going to come across a lot of situations to be able to explain and to get out of them and to get in them and out of them safely. Hmm. It helps you be a good official. So I want to really, I guess, color the way you really, really the rules to, to read the rule book. So... I think everyone goes through the point where maybe they're not really into school and certification is just a means to an end to get certified to, to, mm-hmm. to really do basketball games. And I think a lot of people like the glamorous part of getting games and being in it. But I don't think they take the time to, to study the rules. So having said that, and now that we know that there's a lot of people out there that's in that boat, um, what do you think are the best practices for you to start parsing out the rules and, and kind of gaining that armor of you know, learning those foundations brick by brick. Okay. Spiritually, spiritually, I don't know how a lot of people are, but if you carry a Bible, you read a Bible, make that rule book your Bible. Carry it with you at all times. Whether you do men's, women's, college, pro, carry it with you at all times. Have it close by. And those breaks you get at work, those times you get off to rest and relax, pick up and read a chapter. It help you, and you'll come across things every single day you read something. Mm. Have you ever been in a situation where you read one rule and maybe you read a, a scenario in a case play, and then it happened literally the next day or the same day? Exactly. Exactly. It always happens. Mm. Things that you think that's not going to occur in a game, it occurs. And the hardest part about that is understanding it at that time mm. you could get a rule right outside of the game but when you're in the game that's where it's more, you're most vulnerable and you have to have a good partner or partners someone has to come up with the right answer mm. how about the scenario when um, there's something very sticky in a game but you don't know how to adjudicate it and neither do your partners what happens then we, you get it wrong. <laughs> that's pretty about sums it up. You get it wrong, and then you hear about it later on, and that's what will help you get back into your practice because mm. you don't want that to occur. Mm. Yeah, you don't want that to occur. So you discussed the importance of mentors. Um, I think a lot of people would be curious to know who your mentors are, what have they done for your career, and how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after them? 
Oh, they've done a lot because they're so encouraging and inspiring. Uh, I can go from a Will Mensah to a Terry Lewis to uh, a Perry Lewis to Terry Gilbert to John Colston to Joe LeGrand to Heather Brown. Uh, these are all top name officials that really understand the book and understand how to help officials move up in this world of fishing. Mm. And how do you think they've helped you shape the way now you help people after you? Like somebody like me now that I consider you my mentor, one of my mentors. Well, I were actually in games with them and they gave me so much good advice and I've, t- I've took it and I ran with it and I give it back to the people that I work with. Mm. Okay, so that's where it helps you out um, tremendously. And you can't get an energy for understanding the rules. You have to go and apply it yourself. Mm. Right? And I have nothing but energy because I'm excited to do games. I'm excited that I'm in the game. And I'm excited that I got to learn so much about the game. And it came from them and my study at mm. Right? And it's not going to stop. And it hasn't stopped. Mm. So I think New York versus New York, even here at Lincoln Park and just the various places in New York City, Rucker Park, West Forth, uh, Gersh. Um, what do you find more exciting, speaking of that excitementness? Do you think that the games that we serviced this summer was more exciting, or do you think that during the school season, when we're doing school games in packed gyms, what do you find more exciting? Oh, it's definitely no greater feeling than being in a gym, yeah. and it's nothing but people there. Mm. There's scouts, there's referees that know you that come to see you perform. And there's nothing more exciting than doing like a playoff game or a regular season game with fan base. It, it gives you, your are in general, it's flowing, you, you get emotional, you get a good feeling, and you get to practice to be good. Even though your other games, if the gym is empty, you should be just as excited because your energy level still has to be that strong because you have to always take this game like someone's always watching you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, you're going to be watching me at Rucker Park tonight, right yes. before your game. So, oh yes, I'm very uh, not nervous, okay. but I'm I'm eager to see what you can see for me to improve. Yes, I'm very eager for that. Okay, um, I think that's also an interesting dynamic in the beginning too, because I think when you first start off, you're so self-conscious of how you look and how you perform mm-hmm. that sometimes you underperform because of the circumstances of the people that are watching you. Whereas, you know, I've gotten to the point where just recently, I'd say within the past year, of us saying, you know what, I think I'm okay at this point. I'm going to get some, some good feedback, whether it's negative or positive, but I'm, I'm okay with receiving as opposed to before I'd be, you know, kind of embarrassed and all that. Do you think that there was a point in time where you flipped that switch where you were like, I don't care who's watching, I'm just going to, I know that I'm proficient in the stuff that I know in terms of rules, in terms of performance. Uh, well, let's let's get it. Let's get this right, Ralph. I'm not satisfied now because mm. I'm still goal seeking to get better. And no, that you can't make that your practice. Having an attitude against the game is going to hurt your career. Have an energy for it. Want to want to go and get it. Want to study and want to look the part at all times. Mm. Speaking of looking at the part. Um, I remember when we were trying to record the podcast beforehand and 
obviously the, the iPad wasn't working as well as I wanted it to, I really took a look at your mechanics. And I think what was so amazing about it was that you had a different cadence, you had a different emphasis on certain things when you presented a federation mechanic versus a pro mechanic versus a college mechanic. How did you develop that style and how did you differentiate them easily? Or was there kind of like a pursuit where you kind of mastered one and then moved on to the other? Once again, that, that comes into play with the mentoring part of the of the aspect. You had you had our mentor saying to us, get in the mirror. You look you look kind of sort of okay, but get in the mirror. And that's what I did. It's, it's almost like military. You want to be sharp. You want to give a good cadence. You want to give a good, like, looking seat to the table, right? And then everyone looks at you, and you want to be believable. Mm. Once I got that down pat, I go after it more and more. And I get little ideas from, say, the Zach Zorbers. I watch the pros. I watch how they stand. I watch their posture. I watch their positioning, right? And I separate that and I apply it to my game as I keep doing each and every one of them. Mm. Because each and every one of them, I don't do my same game like I did the last game. I try to perfect perfect more and more craft to my game. Mm. So now that the summer's winding down, I want you to just describe your experiences this summer. Where did you work? Uh, I guess describe some of the most difficult games that you had and what do you think you improved on from uh, late May to now that it's winding down uh, almost to the beginning of September? Uh, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot of tournaments you have to take to yourself and say, do I want to work there? Mm. Right? Is this what I want? Right? All basketball isn't good basketball tournaments. You have rec leagues where... The parents, the fans, the kids that play in the tournament, the coaches that are really, really out of hand, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have tournaments that are decent. There's respectable people around with everybody respects, and that's what you want to involve yourself in. That you're working not to be chased out of a park, but you're working to improve what you're improving on and to go home and get home safely to your families. So where were the most favorite places that you worked this summer? This summer, uh, I enjoyed West 4th Street. I enjoyed uh, EBC, Rucker Park. I enjoyed, uh, there was a main event tournament. That wasn't too bad, right? And then there was a couple of high school uh, tournaments here and there that wasn't too bad. Dion Merritt has a real skill tournament over in Rochdale, right, to name a few. But I always made sure I picked and choose tournaments that were organized, they started on time, they were on time, and it was a respectable atmosphere. Mm. Yeah, that, that on time is important, especially when you have two venues in one day. Yes. And you know that one can derail yeah. your whole entire plan. So I, I always appreciate that when there's a facility that's always punctual and, and professional. That's how what we appreciate as officials. You'd agree, right? Exactly. I definitely agree because we can't be late to the game. No. Yeah. And because we're the no. ones that are going to get in trouble because they don't care about that other yeah, venue. That's right. Um, in terms of mechanics and in terms of rules, I know that this is a tough question, but it's very subjective. Do you prefer high school, college, pro-am uh, rules? And what do you prefer also? 
high school, college, or pro-am mechanics? And how could you distinguish each set of rules so easily? How you can, uh, like you said, pretty tricky question because all of them you should be training to be the best at, period, no matter which one you're doing. But you have to prepare yourself, pre-game yourself, and know that you're doing high school. Hmm. Boys, you have to prepare yourself you're doing high school women. Women are NCAA. So their mechanic is more pro-like staff, right? And they were the first one with the two-hand reporting mechanic before high school was boys. Now boys have switched over to that, so they made it a little bit better to work on everything that you should work on. Mm. But where I got it from was, like I said, first and foremost, I got it from in the book. There's a mechanic page in the back that'll show you each and every rule and each and every hand movement to do when you're reporting fouls, when you're giving jump balls, when you're giving timeouts, your 30-second timeouts, where to stand. It shows you exactly where it was and then or where it is. And then you go to games and you watch high school games. You watch a college game. And if you see how the officials stand and how they're so well trained to go exactly where they're supposed to be during timeouts, during the jump ball, during before the game starts, that's what you want to address. And there's so many things to address in basketball. So that's how you make it uh, in, in, in whatever profession or whatever level you're doing. Mm. You, you gave me an epiphany um, recently is that you know most of the games that I do, even when it's like rec games, I have a tendency to, I guess, do mechanics that are incorrect for the game. So in other words, I'll have maybe like an eighth grade boys game and I'll still be doing women's college mechanics. And you think that's a bad habit, right? You think I should always be doing, you think everyone should be doing what the mechanics is for whatever game you're ser- servicing. If you do a woman mechanic in a boys high school game, Right, it means that you're not addressing and you didn't address before the game started that this was men you're doing. Right? People see you outside the line. It's so easy to see what's bad outside the line. But when you address what's right and what's good, that won't be your concern at all. Mm. You'll stop doing it. That means you're not taking it serious. You mm. see the guys doing pro. You know that they don't do pro because they're standing there with one hand up and they're doing a count. You know they do high school. Because they don't do pro. Mm. So that's how you could differentiate the fact that here these guys, they're high school officials doing pro games. Mm. For what? There's a guy doing a woman's game, but he's doing boys' mechanic. In a woman's mechanic, you're doing a boys' mechanic. First thing that sign is saying, uh uh-uh. you're not a woman's official. Right? Because that's not women mechanics. That's why we try to emphasize with guys when you come out to learn this game. Whatever you're under, whatever you're doing, do the mechanic. Mm. Do the right mechanic. Yeah, I'm going to take that for the rest of my life, for sure. <laughs> would you consider officiating any other sport? And if so, what do you think it would be? Um, if I did, I heard volleyball is pretty good. But uh, trust me, I do so much basketball. I believe it. I won't have time for volleyball because basketball is so seasonal. And you would think that it would slow down, mm. but nah, January to all the way to December, there's games. Mm. Yeah. So after everything you said, what do you think are the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as an official? It took my energy, and it took my excitement, and it took my meeting of people, 
that were positive, just like I ran into you, and take still what I have and what God's given me mm. and give it back to the officials that are up and coming. Mm-hmm. And even also to my veterans, because we come across things and we're in dispute about, oh, this rule, that rule, or whatever, and what's right and what's wrong. We're not in competition. Mm. We're just in it to get it right. After saying that, what do you, where do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go and ultimately where do you want to go in officiating basketball? Well, my, my, uh, my goal is, uh, now that I became a woman's official, is become a woman's college official, right? And I would like to be just do that. Women's college official, I don't need to go any higher because of my age, but that's my goal. That's my goal seeking right now. Mm. I'm physically getting in shape. I see that. Right. I've been training. I've been working hard. Right. And the rules, uh, like you said, I got them down pat. Mm. That's that's 1,000%. Describe the most stickiest situation that you've ever been in playing, and what is your most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball official? In recreation basketball or in... In whatever. 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 Okay, recreation basketball... uh, it's always been a personal thing with uh, guys. They think they're paying you. And it's always been a real disrespectful thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where people come up your face threatening you, running at you like they're going to fight you or they're going to do something with you, right? Yay. That'll make you stop and say, okay, I'm not doing that basketball no more. So that's the sticky situation one. And the PSAL, boys, one time out of my six-year career, we had an all-out brawl with a team that was 11 and one, and another team that was 10 and one, going to the playoffs. It was just a last regular season game, and a fight broke out between the fans and the players on the floor. We had to write a report. The both teams got suspended. Never even made the playoffs. Hmm. That was my stickiest situation ever. After that, I can't share too many moments that uh, I haven't addressed and got it right. It's been a wonderful, wonderful ongoing. What's the best moment that you've had so far thus far in officiating basketball? Uh, one of my best moments. Uh, wow. There's been a few, but I'll say, I'll say a playoff game that I had, right? Uh, exciting moment to see the teams play. And I had a buzzer beater, right, in double A. Yep. Final things that I w- did want to ask you is that um, in terms of getting good at the rules, so now that you, you know, I want to let everyone know, all the listeners of this podcast, of how much you inspired me. Yes. Because I think I'm good. Pretty okay. good. Okay. I think I'm like 60% proficient okay. in the rules. I can explain a lot of them, um, but I, sometimes I use my language. Sometimes I don't use the the rule language. Okay. And I think also that you just inspired me to sweep the floor, to be detail-oriented and to have, because I have energy in officiating, I have to also sublimate that and do the other part, which will separate me between the next man and myself. Okay. So I wanted to thank you. Um, You're welcome. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens with that. Um, what do you go about in terms of, like, strategy of talking to a coach when he's on the ledge and now you have to explain to the rule. Do you tell them verbatim what the rule says or do you kind of you know, say it in a way as well as coupled with the rule language for him to understand and for him to look it up later on? 
what we do in officiating is starts in our pregame. So whether you have a partner or partners, our discussion is that you have these teams before, do you know the coaches? How are we going to handle the coaches? Everyone has a different personality. So your two partners not, might, might not be on the same page as you are. Mm. Their answer be totally different than what my answer would be. My answer is from to strictly being intelligent and strictly being professional. That I know how to answer him quickly, don't let him affect my game, and don't let him disrespect me, my partner, or partners. Right? And then to treat him with respect, even though he might give me things that's out of character in basketball, still to respect him and know how to verbalize and answer him back correctly mm. without being mad. Mm. It'll help you be a better official. Don't be a technical foul official. I was taught that also by Zach Zook. Don't be a technical foul official. You put yourself in situations. Mm. The less you say, the better and more efficient the game is. When you do have to say what you say, do it as quick as you can. Do it when time permits and get back to you. Mm. Stay focused. So having said that, what is your threshold? What is your personal threshold of, of, of ultimately calling a technical foul? You would have to, it's called earning it. You know, you ever see somebody earn something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's they throw what, a basketball at a window and it shatters? I think that deserves a you, technical you, foul. You throw a basketball away from the court, you're the coach, and you do something and it's out of the ordinary, right? Player walks up to you, he's walking your way in a disrespectful type of form. Mm. Some things warrant technical fouls. And some things warrant, okay, coach, I heard you. Right? But you have to earn. Mm. Technical fouls are earned. And you go into, grow into maturity as you keep running this game. And they want to see you as you keep getting better and better. Mm. And when you work on that, you stay out of problems and officiate. Absolutely. Um, that's that's amazing. What about, do you have a different strategy when you're doing, I guess, you know, summer park ball, all of the major parks, when the kids are talking back and forth in comparison to a school game? Total difference. I have a higher tolerance level, and I just say, cut it out. I talk to them somewhat in some kind of way, the way they talk. But I don't lose it. Mm. I stay under control. I stay focused. And then when they earn it, they get it. Mm. And then that's where it stops. Have you called any technical fouls this summer? Oh, yes, I have. Oh, yes, I have. I have also tossed someone out the game. Mm. And they all deserved it. And it, it was well-deserved. Throwing the basketball, taking your shirt off. Mm. I won the court, throwing it down on the ground. Okay, well, you're done for the day. Take care of yourself. Mm. This has been great, man. Do you have any final words you want to say before we part ways? Uh, no, I appreciate you having me on the show. More to come. <laughs> for Warren Jug Davis, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. Signing out. Peace. All right, we were my man Jug. Um, this is Ralph the Ref. This is Jug's Jewels. This is going to be the first uh, installment of one of our collaborations. Hopefully, I'd say Monday through Friday, at least five times in the week, we're going to try to hit you with some, some rules, some situations, 
some cases. Um, you know, I noticed that when I first met Jug, he was not only a stigler for the rule, but I, I can I can really say that, and you don't have to proclaim this yourself, you were rule master, right? Because I, I know what it's like to know something inside out, and the way you were saying it in terms of number verbatim and, and just toggling back and forth, I mean, it really impressed me. And I also talked to a couple people. I talked to Ahmad, and I talked to a whole bunch of people, and you know, one thing that Ahmad said to me was like, you know, everyone going to have their opinions, but when it comes to knowing the truth and when it comes to knowing those rules, he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, you even talked about when we were going through those group texts, you always going to be the first one to respond and you're undefeated in your answer. So that's an attribute to you. But I wanted to go back to Friday night. Uh, ironically, I was with Reggie and he was watching, observing my game. Um, First of all, man, what's up? You, you could talk. Hey, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I don't think I'm are you, here. Are you excited for this project and, and collaborating with Referee Ramp? excited, Ram? yes, but I don't want to show off. I want to hear the questions so I can give the answer. Okay. So, you know, same thing that we were talking about in your podcast before. We were talking about how, you know, we, we treat games differently in comparison to high school games, right? So I have a little bit of tolerance, and the coach is acting crazy. He's already 30 minutes late. I don't give him no warning. Whatever. It's cool. But he was the part where I got stuck and I had to guess because I didn't go into the, the rule book and I didn't know it as well. Okay. So here's the situation. I'd say they're seventh grade, sixth grade boys. So we're doing federation rules, right? End of the game. End of regulation. Game is tied. You know, just like we were talking about before, I don't call technical fouls. But now the coach was acting unruly. He started, he started saying a lot of assassinating type of character type things to the, to the person that was doing the table. And now he earned the technical foul. So now I called the technical foul. So now they were saying like, yo, if he hits the shot, game is over. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, is that right? I don't, I don't know. Okay. But then somebody was like, I went to my partner. And he wasn't sure either. Okay. And, you know, I didn't have any basis of, of what to call. So what do we, how, do we, how do we adjudicate that? situation correctly now let's let's say it again and the regulation game is tied now we're right before overtime so it's that intermission between end of regulation and overtime and the head coach for one of the teams earns a technical foul now what happens okay one thing we have to understand is that the game ended in tie so there's no longer any time on the clock but we're coming back into play after the intermission Anyone receiving a technical foul, whether it be a coach or whether it be a player, is treated immediately at the start of the overtime, even though the game is tied. The technical foul would have had to come with time on the clock in order for the game to still be in play. Mm. So we're all going to have an overtime tip-off, but not with the jump ball. We're going to have the technical foul treated on that coach, and the team that the technical foul went against is going to inbound the ball. Mm. And then that coach is going to have the APL after the throwing. Because mm. there are no jump balls in high school federation, except when it starts the game. Mm. Now, if we were going back in overtime without the technical foul, then yes, you have a jump ball in each of the overtime periods thereafter. Because mm. that decides the APL. Where can we overtime. find that rule in terms so we can find context within that? Uh, you have to go to four definitions. And, it and then it'll say that uh, in within the technical foul section? Yes, sir. Mm. It is said in the definition section. 
is all different definitions in this section. Yeah, I definitely did that wrong. So what I did was I didn't end the game. I didn't say that it was going to end the game. But I did the technical foul. And then now that you say it and the way you, I guess you, 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 you put it within context, it makes sense to how you say it. But what I did. Me. You went to the jump ball. I went to the jump ball, but after the technical foul. Because I'm not, I'm not jugged. That's why. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you treat a, a technical foul in high school, it's a loss of possession. Mm. You can never get a technical foul and get the possession after the technical foul in high school. College, whole different world. What's the, we'll discuss what, that. Well, let's talk about, know. yeah, we, we can talk about that. What, what is the situation in college? Well, college, you've got a point of interruption, right? But same scenario. Right? So same scenario, how would it be different? So I, And the regulation, I, I give the coach a, a technical foul. Mm-hmm. So now it's, um, it's two shots and then point of interruption, which would be, see, now I'm trying to think it out. Um, there was point, no interruption because the game is expired. So the point of interruption would be a jump ball. Ding. How about in the pros? Ding. Same thing. Ding. Mm. Where can we find that, that rule? Uh, that's for people that take the class. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. So yeah. that, that was volume one, man. That, that, was, yeah. that was awesome. We'll see you uh, for the yeah. second installment. Yes, sir.